right, here we are. This is LTE, the podcast brought to you by the Register Guard Opinion Page. I'm your host, Brendan O'Meara. Hey, hey. I edit the opinion page, among other things in this crazy world. I'm on Twitter, at Brendan O'Meara. You can follow the show on Instagram, Guard underscore opinion. Not overscore, underscore. Subscribe to the show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and hopefully one day or another, Apple Podcasts. We can dream. How you holding up, man? You losing your mind yet? Don't be one of those yahoos protesting against the stay-at-home order. Don't even, man. Don't even go there. I think in many ways I've been training my entire life to be socially distanced. My life hasn't changed much, and I don't mean to say that to discredit people who are totally up in upheaval. Uh, I'm not saying to saying any of this to rub this in, except the only thing that's really changed is that all the friggin' tofu is gone. I do the vegan thing, and this really boils my potato, man. Anyway, as always, we encourage you to send your letters to the editor, yeah, and even guest views into the various inboxes so we can give you some voice. I might even bring back reading a letter to the podcast so you can check out which one I selected that I particularly liked for that particular week. I mean, you never know. It's a lottery. Letters go to rgletters at registerguard.com. Guest views go to bomera at registerguard.com. But you're here for a reason. My guest today is Doyle Canning. She's a community organizer who is running against Representative Peter DeFazio in the May 19th primary. She's trying to unseat the incumbent, which you ask me is kind of a kind of a cool band name. Unseat the incumbent. At least a good song in any case. This is a pretty rad conversation that gets a little bit beyond the talking points and into what makes Doyle tick. She's got a guest for you coming up this week. Depending on when you listen to this, it's either going to be tomorrow or it could be yesterday. I don't know. These things are evergreen, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Enjoy, friend. Very nice. Well, let's uh, let's start off by saying, like, what does it mean to you that uh, that you're you're the first woman who's run for this seat in uh, you know ever? <laughs> um, what does it mean to me? Well. I, you know, I have spent my life waging uphill battles and breaking the mold, and that's who I am, and that's part of why I'm running because this moment calls for leadership, courage, political courage, in a time when Eugene is leading the nation in homelessness. Even before this COVID crisis. We need a champion who's going to fight for change, and that's who I am. Now, when you say uh, a life spent uh, waging uphill battles, uh, what 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 some what are some of those uphill battles that you've waged, and how did you overcome uh, overcome those? Sure. Well, I have spent my career twenty years in community organizing, fighting with communities who were taking on powerful corporations and demanding change. For example, the first organizing job I ever had um, right out of college was taking on Monsanto and their aggressive marketing of genetically modified seeds to family farmers. And I 
work to build a movement of farmers and neighbors and environmental advocates, health advocates. And we together, we passed the first law in the country uh, ordering the labeling of genetically engineered seeds. And I remember the look on the Monsanto lobbyist faces when we were in hearings and we told the truth and we wouldn't back down. And we had hundreds of people there with us and we won. And that's how I'm going to approach leading in Congress is building a powerful movement that gives voice to the urgent priorities of our district. Hmm. And and where where were you located at the time of when you were taking on Monsanto? Oh, <laughs> this was in Vermont. Um, yeah. I I went to college at Goddard College in rural Vermont and studied teacher education. You know, my dream was to change the world with the power of teaching and work with young people. And um, <laughs> then I was recruited to work as a community organizer, and I never looked back. Hmm. And yeah, of course you're. You um, that was a a great you know a great victory an uphill battle that you that you were able to wage. Uh, take us to any to to maybe another moment where you know you you faced a huge challenge and and how did you how did you overcome it? Um, well, I remember the shareholders meeting of Bank of America. This was two thousand and ten, I believe, in Charlottesville, Virginia at the height of the foreclosure crisis after the decimation of the housing market in 2008, 2009. And I was supporting a national coalition that was fighting to keep people in their homes and working with homeowners and tenants who were demanding to change the terms so that they could stay in their homes and and not be not just foreclosed on, but kicked out. And so... The uh, the Bank of America did not want these homeowners and tenants to be able to enter the building or testify and tell their stories. And, you know, I worked to negotiate to help make that happen and to give voice to their demands and, and you know, amplify their voice in that moment. Um, and Bank of America responded to that pressure. And so, you know, that's who I am and who I'll be when I serve this district. So where does that come from? We have this this uh, this uh, capacity and skill for community organizing and and to lead. You know, where can you? Is there a moment in your past where you can point to an inflection point that that set you on this path? <laughs> well, there are several. I think very early in my life, I I was a survivor of domestic violence, and some of my earliest memories are of my mother calling the police and asking the police for help and to protect us. And I remember them just shrugging their shoulders and walking away. And it was neighbors in our working class community that stepped up and supported us. And I learned at a very young age that that kind of solidarity is what gets us through and that when the system fails us, we need to change it. And my mother was a great role model in so many ways and a strong uh, leader for human rights herself and dragged me along to protests of nuclear power and apartheid and U.S. intervention in Central America in the 1980s. And that's, that was part of my upbringing. And so I really learned very early um, these values. 
Well, yeah, that's not not unlike when uh, at the beginning of this guest view that you're going to have published on Thursday. And depending on when people listen to this, they'll either have that to look forward to or they can already be up and running. Uh, but you open it with a, a scene of you at a Martin Luther King Day parade or rally mm-hmm. and you're there with your daughter. So in a sense or, or your five year old, I don't know if it's daughter or son, um, but you are you are there hand in hand with uh with with your child not unlike the way that uh you know you were hand in hand with your mom at one point <laughs> yes that's true that is a great observation um i guess her values are being passed on to her grandchildren even though you know she died before she ever met them she she passed away when i was 20 of complications related to a chronic health condition she had Um, been laid off from her job and she lost access to her health insurance and she died shortly thereafter. And that is one of the reasons why I'm fighting so hard for Medicare for all, because I know what it's like to lose a loved one because in part of this system that ties healthcare to employment. Um, And we're seeing that now in this COVID economic crisis where we have this health urgent health crisis, and we have tens of millions of people losing their coverage because they've lost their jobs. And I believe that there's no good reason why that's the way that we run our healthcare system in this country and that it can change if we have the courage to stand up to the industries like big pharma and the health insurance industries that profit from denying care and denying coverage. What do you think? This so it's twenty years since your mo- mother's passing. What What do you think she would uh, think of you here as you're on the press of you know, in, in a congressional primary? Oh wow! Um, I I mean, of course, I think she would be very proud. Um, and you know, she always approached uh, her parenting of me as with a kind of unconditional (laughs) acceptance. And she wanted me to know that she would be proud of me, whatever I chose to do with my life. And um, I'm trying to raise my children the same way. I, you know, she took a strong stand in her time for human rights and for the environment. And she instilled those values in me at at an early age. And so I carry that forward. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, you know, so these these days, of course, you know, change feels scary, and I think, especially now, given that the whole world has gone topsy turvy, change really does feel all the more scary and trepidatious. So, um, given that, you know, you would be a big uh, big change uh, to take on someone who's been in in Congress for thirty three years. So, um, why should people try to lean into that change, especially when the world is so upside down? Mm-hmm. It is precisely in this moment that we must move forward into the bold solutions that Oregonians need. You know, we touched on Medicare for all earlier. And if you're not out there fighting for people to have health care in this moment, in this deadly global pandemic, um, you know, you're not 
a progressive and you're not representing what people want and need in this time. The polls are clear. 75% of people in Oregon support Medicare for all. That's across party lines. This is the common sense policy that people want and that will save lives and save um, livelihoods right now. And that's what I'm fighting for. And our congressman isn't. And, uh, and, and in your piece as well, you lay out a whole lot of things that, uh, that, that make your case. But I think uh, uh, f- uh, above, and above, above and beyond is what you, you really want. You want to be able to face off uh, in a, a debate in some capacity. Uh, I suspect in these days, in this, in this climate, it might be challenging, but there might be a way to do a Zoom debate. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, so you want that debate. Why, you know, why do you want to get on that stage and, and face off against your opponent in a way that can uh, get a lot of these things, you know, a lot of these things vocalized head to head? Well, I think there are some really clear differences between my values, my platform, and my campaign, and that of the incumbent. And I think voters deserve to know what those differences are. Um, The incumbent's approach to my insurgent challenge um, has been first to ignore and now to punch down and to also at the same time pretend like there's no significant difference. There is. My campaign is not taking any money from big corporate political action committees or lobbyists, the congressman is. And that matters to voters and it, it matters to, um, you know, to reflecting an authentic progressive agenda in this moment. We touched on Medicare for all, on COVID recovery, there are some really clear differences. You know, I support Senator Warren and Representative Rokana's bill that they they're introducing on the Essential Workers Bill of Rights to make sure that every worker who is out there in this pandemic has PPE, has overtime pay, and has other essential protections so that um, they're not risking their life to take care of the rest of us at this time. 53 lawmakers sent a letter to the leadership in Congress asking for this essential workers bill of rights today. The congressman, our congressman wasn't one of them. Um, That tells you a lot about priorities in this moment. And voters need to know and have an informed decision to make about who we want to represent us in Washington. And I think, uh, in in our conversations with rep, the representative, he he cited seniority as a big uh, strength of his. Um, in, in what in what way would you point to that seniority as, as actually um, a, a weakness that you're looking to attack? You know, I'm not a political insider in Washington. I'm not a career politician, and in this moment, that's a strength. And you know, my leadership style is going to be different. Because I haven't spent 33 years in Congress. (laughs) I've spent 20 years working with low-wage workers in immigrant worker centers, with communities taking on big fossil fuel companies, fighting pipelines and coal mines and oil refineries. Um, You know, that's who I am and how I will lead in this moment. And if you want to create change, that's the kind of leadership you need. If If the status quo is working for you right now, Um, then maybe you want to play politics as usual. But the majority of Democratic primary voters are in the Democratic Party because we want progress. We want change. Our priorities are health care, a fair and just and humane immigration system, 
solutions to the public health epidemic of gun violence. You know, and these are areas where the incumbent is weak and out of touch with the mainstream of the Democratic Party, let alone the progressive wing that that this district wants to support. Awesome. Well, well, Doyle, I want to be you know mindful of your time here. I think you know, I think we've gotten to touch a lot of bases, and uh, of course, I you know appreciate the guest view you sent in. I'm excited to run it, and I, I think a lot of people will glean a lot of insights from it. So, uh, thank you for hopping on the show here, Doyle, and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Take good care.